There's a, it's going to be a call like no other. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through the end of the chapter, which is 20. Um, but before I, I look at this, I want to let you know just a little bit of how the Bible kind of works. This passage is normally called the Great Commission. Uh, and it was given to the disciples at the time, right before Jesus ascended into heaven. Um, but also it is recorded in one other spot in Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 14, I do believe, um, right at the end. Some Bibles don't have it in there because they say some of the early manuscripts don't have this, but some do. Even though those two commission pieces read differently it's the exact same event and so I want you to think about if we were on the road uh, or if we were right here and we see a, a bad accident happen right here at on 259 the cops come over and they ask for statements and every single one of us talks to the officer about this wreck what we saw what we heard what we smelled all of that we will all have different stories Every single one of us will have a different story to tell the officer. However, all those stories combined make up the scene of the accident. Okay? This is kind of like how the Gospels were. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all read a little bit differently than one another because they were written by different people, but they were all the same events. They're all the same events, but they just looked at them at a different perspective. Matthew, for instance, was a tax collector. Uh, tax collectors had some good education. That's why his gospel is one of the longest gospels, is because he had more education to write out a lot of things. Mark um, was a fisherman, and he looked at things on the side of, of, of what he did. Luke was uh, a physician, so he looked more at the miracles that Jesus did. And then John was, um, he was out there because his gospel doesn't really sound like Matthew, Mark's, or Luke's. His is different, but um, they were all the same. It's all the same story, but different books. So just because if, when we read the Great Commission in Matthew and it says all this, and then you read it in Mark and it says something a little bit different, doesn't mean that they're not the same. They just saw the perspective two different ways. So when we come to Matthew 28, 16 and 20, it is the conclusion of a journey that Jesus was on. It's a journey that began with his birth. At the beginning of Matthew, you see his birth. It continued through his life, his miracles, his death. And then in the very first part of this chapter, chapter 28, you see the resurrection. And then we come to this very final passage in Matthew. This passage is a commission to tell 
others about the things that Jesus did in his life. It is a continuation of the story. Just because it ends in verse 20 does not mean that it ended in verse 20. It still continues on to this day. It is a call that was like no other. It was a different call. And it's one that we can apply to us today. It is a call that doesn't end. It is a continuation. So let's read verses 16 through 20. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Now I want to look at mountains just for, for a second. Jesus took them to a mountain. He had directed them already to go to a mountain in Galilee. When God really spoke to individuals, he took them to mountains. Look at Moses, Mount Sinai, Elijah. Elijah went off into a, or Elisha went off in a chariot on a mountain. So when Jesus or God was talking to somebody and had a very important point, a lot of times it was from a mountain. There's a reason why Matthew wrote mountain right here. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always, even to the end of this age. When you think about missionaries, what do you think about? What does somebody think about? Traveling to foreign countries? That's what we think about most of the time. If you're a missionary, you go to a different country to tell others about Jesus. That is wrong thinking. I mean, it's great that we have them that go to other countries. But I want to tell you, missionaries are you. In your everyday life, you are a missionary. You don't have to go to another country to be a missionary. You can go to Omaha and be a missionary. You can go to Naples, Mount Pleasant, whatever, and be a missionary. Rocky Branch. Rocky Branch needs it bad, okay? Especially that little store down there where the men gather and gossip. But you are a missionary. If you are called by Christ, if you are a Christian, you are a missionary where you are at. Whether it's Brad out in the hayfield, he's a missionary out there. Not just to the cows, but he stops by the donut shop in the mornings. I've seen you. You stop by the donut shop in the morning. You're a missionary at the donut shop. Jimmy is a missionary at Naples Hardware. You are a missionary wherever you are at. Even if you are retired, um, you have friends. You do things together. You are a missionary where you are at. Now, there are some that are specially called to go overseas. But in general, Jesus is telling us that you are a missionary. Take the gospel wherever you go. 
this Tuesday, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, which is what we're a part of, they're having their annual meeting in uh, New Orleans. And on Tuesday, they set aside two hours. They start off the whole meeting with this. They set aside two hours to send missionaries overseas. They, they put them up there. They have a big celebration for them, and they send them overseas. They, that's how they start their annual meeting. And then there's a bunch of drama after that. But that's how they start the meetings, by sending people to go tell the gospel. This passage right here was the very last words that Jesus said to people right before he ascended. And if you look at Mark, it goes through this whole same scenario, go tell others, baptizing them. And then right after it says, immediately he was ascended into heaven. So these last words, Jesus saved them for after his resurrection. He says, I'm not done with you yet. He says, continue on. So if they're his last words, they must be important. They must be important. Matthew could have, uh, if his whole point of his book was just to tell about how Jesus was a great individual, that he he'd performed all these miracles, and that he was the Son of God, if that was his just whole point of this book, he would have stopped it right at the end of 28, right after the resurrection. Because, man, that's a great story. Jesus came from heaven, he lived on earth, performed all these miracles, died on the cross for you, raised again. Man, that's a great ending to any Hollywood movie. But Matthew continued on because he said this is not the end. This is only the beginning. It's a story that continues to today. A commentary that I was reading said this about... Uh, this passage. He says, No part of the Bible, with a possible exception to the letter of Romans, has done more to give Christians the vision of a worldwide church. It has sent them to all nations, bearing the message of salvation through Christ, with which are linked the responsibility and privilege of obeying his words. So what this commentator was saying was, this passage right here, there's no other clear definition of what a worldwide church is, but it brings it out right here. Now, we as Americans are single-minded. Uh, we're not really all that bright, uh, but we think about that we are the center of the, na of the world. We're not. We are not the center of the world. There is a gigantic um, place around us. There are millions and billions of people on this planet that need to hear the gospel. And a lot of times we think about our troubles and ourselves more than we think about the worldwide as a society, as a whole. When I was talking to Enoch, that's the, our, our friend that's in Kenya. I was talking to him this week. I was asking him how things were going. He asked me how things were going, and I was just 
I was telling him, man, I'm busy. We've, we've got a lot going on over here. Um, I was telling him, I said, man, we've had some trouble on some things. And uh, then I asked him, and he said, things are doing great. I said, okay, you know, that's good to hear. You know, that's, that's good to hear. How are the kids? Because they have about 20 to 30 orphans that they take care of. And he says, they're, doing, they're, they're alive and they're doing, doing well. And I said, well, what about the food situation? Well, because when we've been texting back and forth, he just tells us that just pray that God will miraculously feed them because they live on just a little bit of rice, a handful of rice a day, just a little bit of food. He says, well, it's a struggle, but we're alive and we're thanking God for that. So a lot of times we think that our drama, that our situation is rough. But when you look at it in the worldwide scheme of things, we're very blessed. We are very blessed. And so when I prayed, prayed for Enoch, and I said, so God just miraculously fill the, fill the baby's bellies because he can do that. Just keep them in his hands. So we're not just a localized church. This, this message was not just given to one set of individuals. It was given out as a worldwide call. A call for each Christian. We go back to verse 18. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. What is authority? What is authority? Jesus right here is saying, I am the ultimate being, and I give you permission to go do this. Now, in the early centuries, even up until the 1800s, when a king wanted something done and he, he brought a servant up to him and says, hey, I need this, uh, I need you to go to this other kingdom over here and pick up something, deliver a message, something like that. He would give them a letter. He would give the servant a letter to take with them on their journey. And so whenever they got stopped by uh, maybe some other people in the other kingdoms, they would show them this letter and then that they would allow them to continue on. So the king had a great amount of authority, and he gave that to the servants when he uh, needed a mission to be accomplished. Jesus is the ultimate king over all kingdoms. And so he is giving us a letter to say, fulfill my mission. Fulfill it in my name. I am giving you a letter to go out to all of the world, not just part of it, to proclaim who I am. A proclamation, usually during this time, would be uh, where a king or um, an emperor or somebody would have a servant go up onto the rooftop and yell, Hear ye, hear ye. The king has something to say. He's proclaiming it to the nations or to the kingdom that was there. Jesus is saying, all the authority that I have, 
which I am the creator of this universe. I am the creator of this earth. I own all the cattle on a thousand hills. I own every bit of it. I give you this authority to go out. And if you go out, I will take care of you. That is what Jesus is saying. He is the king of kings, the lord of any lords. And he says to go boldly to share. But this authority not only is something that he just said, it was a direct fulfillment of a prophecy that happened in Daniel. Daniel 7 verse 13, it says, He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. When Jesus said he has all authority, he was fulfilling another prophecy. Right before he ascended, another prophecy he fulfilled. Right there. So you, in Omaha, Texas, at bar none right now, you have all the authority in all of the earth with you because Jesus gave it to us. It is a promise. So why do we not go out and proclaim his good news? If we have all of this authority, why do we not go out and proclaim his good news? A lot of times it comes down to fear. We have a lot of fear. Well, somebody's going to think bad of me if I, if I just tell them that Jesus loves them. This month is um, a celebration that is despicable, but um, I do Twitter a lot. Um, I do Twitter a whole lot more than I ever do Facebook. That's where I get all my news is from Twitter. And obviously right now, June 1st, was the celebration of uh, Pride Month. And when Pat Robinson died this past week, I was looking over some, some comments that people were saying, uh, and they were glorifying his death. They were glad that they wanted, you know, they wanted to dance on his grave and all that, that this, this man hated people. He hated this certain group of community. And I'm going to tell you this. When you proclaim the truth, you do not hate anybody. When you don't tell the truth, you hate everybody. Let me put it in another way. If we were to see somebody start to try to walk across 259 in one of these logging trucks that goes 70 miles an hour on this road, and we see it coming, but they don't see it or hear it, and we don't yell out to them, watch out for this logging truck, and we just watch them get hit and ran over, is that love or is that hate? That is hate. But if we were to yell out to them and say, stop, stop, watch out for this truck that's going to hit you, and we save them from getting hit by that truck, that is love. So when we don't stand up for what is wrong, we are actually hating people. 
But when we stand up, it may seem like hate to others, but it is actually love warning them of the dangers coming forward. So your fear that we may have to share the gospel because it may offend somebody actually is kind of hate. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. He also writes in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. God did not give us a spirit of fear. That fear comes directly from the enemy. And what if, what if our friends that we are trying to tell the gospel to, what if they get offended and they say no? Oh, well. Oh, well. At least you did your part. We are not here to try to gain sympathy from others or to be liked by others. We're here to proclaim the good news. Now, we all like pats on the back. I mean, I even like pats on the back. But we're not going to get a pat on the back from Jesus if we don't proclaim. And that's the only pat on the back that you need. Those words, well done, good and faithful servant, are the only words that I want to hear. Not, oh man, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. I'm going to be afraid to hurt my family members. They may not talk to me ever again. They may not. And I know that's not an easy thing to grasp. I know it's not an easy thing to grasp. But at least you know that you have warned them of the dangers to come. So we have authority. A proclamation from the king to go. Verse 19. Go, therefore. The very first word in this verse is a two-letter action verb. I was not great in English class, but I do know this is an action verb. Go. Two letters. Simplest form of communication. Go. What does that mean? Does that mean to sit here in our comfort areas, uh, just listening on, on Sundays, uh, maybe even come on Wednesdays a little bit. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll do some events on Friday nights. Um, and, and have VBS for on the following weeks. And, and if we build it, they will come. This is not to fill the dreams, folks. We can build whatever we want to. It doesn't mean that they're going to come. We have to go. And this action verb was actually saying, as you are going. So, as you are going, that means your daily life, as you are going, Proclaim God's love. Proclaim God's grace. Proclaim his mercy as you are going in your daily life. What's the next word say? 
go therefore. What is therefore therefore? I really don't know. But go therefore. Go forth. He's saying go forth. Wherever you are going, proclaim the good news. Proclaim the good news. All of us want to have a legacy. Every one of us want to have a legacy. We want to be remembered somehow. But reality is that when you pass away, more than likely, two, three generations down the road, you will no longer be remembered. We're going this week um, to Myrtle Beach to celebrate the life and legacy of a wonderful grandmother. And my um, James is seven. He'll have some memories of being with his Mimi, um, but he probably won't remember like what he did later on in life with her. We have pictures that will show him. Um, Joshua, he's at the age right now that he, he knows who she is, but in a few years down the road, he's not going to remember his Mimi. But, however, the legacy that she had, her and her husband, her husband was a pastor, and he passed away a few years back, but they had children. And those children... Uh, most of them are all serving in the ministry of some sort. One of them is a pastor, and uh, my mother-in-law is, is helping out with uh, another sort of ministry. She used to work at the seminary and, and did a lot of things with that. But their legacy is that she passed, uh, Mimi passed down a godly family to uh, a godly two sons, and a daughter. And then they had their own kids, their sons and daughters, which then hopefully in return that we will pass down a godly legacy with our kids. Now, our kids may not remember who Mimi was, but hopefully through that passing down of the godly generations, that is a legacy that she had. So what is your legacy going to be? Are you going to go and proclaim to the nations, or are you just going to try to build up wealth for yourself, and a few years after you die, none of it's going to matter, and nobody's going to care about who you were? But are you going to go and make disciples? Your family is a disciple-making family. Your kids are your disciples right now. But also, there are other people that do not have a godly family. Some of our youth that uh, maybe even at, at youth camp right now do not have a godly family. So maybe... Maybe it might be time for, for some of our adults to step up and kind of adopt them into their family. And then instill those skills, that love, 
and all of that into them. That's making disciples. Discipleship is not a one and done deal. Jesus is not saying right here, he's not saying go get people saved and leave them. It's not a catch and release tournament. This is a go as you are going, make disciples. That is the legacy that you are leaving with your family and also others that may not be in your family. There's a guy um, in here that usually wears overalls. He's not a part of my family, but um, blood, but he really is part of my family. He kind of, uh, him and my granddad ran around together for a while, and um, he's the one that introduced, there you are, right over there. He's the one that introduced my dad to Christ. And if it wasn't for him, we might not even be here right now. All because he took this passage seriously. One day in 19-whatever, 1900s, whatever, whatever it was, 1970-something, 70-what? 82. Okay, you know it. I don't. But he is family to us, not by blood, but because of what he did. So he's leaving a mark on our lives. On my dad's life, on my life, on my kid's life. If you saw them this morning, they wanted to be like Mr. Randall. Did you see them? They had their overalls on. They wanted to be like Mr. Randall. So he is leaving a legacy, not only to his family, but to an extended family. And you are doing the same thing if you're a Christian. You're call, at least you're called to do that. Have you ever heard of these um, multi-level marketing schemes? You see them on Facebook. Maybe some of you might be a part of them. I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, Avon, Mary Kay. Um, <laughs> some of these other things. There used to be one back then called AvoCare. Um, the way it works, it's it's a pyramid scheme. You know? So you... Uh, you have one person, they try to sell to other people, they try to get them as recruits, and then they go sell other people, you get some of the benefits of it, all that, you know, it just goes down and down and down. Well, these companies are brilliant at making disciples. They are brilliant at making disciples. But however, these companies are going to fade away. The true company of Christ will not ever fade away. So don't take this as a heretical statement. This is just as a joke. But um, Jesus was like the first multi-level marketing scheme. But, I mean, it, he wasn't. He's not. But all these other companies know how to go and make disciples. If I say, um, I know I'm in East Texas, but just, just deal with me for a bit. But if I say I want a soda, what first comes into your mind 
Coke, Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, something like that. If I'm going to a big box store, what do you think of? Walmart, Target, whatever. But these companies know how to market their, um, their product. So when, if you go around here in, in Texas and you say, hey, I want a Coke, and the waitress says, what kind? That's pretty good. You know, Coca-Cola did a great job of marketing soda pops. Here's a, a little interesting tidbit I'll give you from the, the NASCAR world. Uh, we had a Bible study in a, uh, one of the shops before, and the, the head of marketing, one of the heads of marketing came to our Bible studies, and I was kind of always interested uh, in, in this, just how they got this stuff. There was a Coca-Cola car that raced at that time. And I said, how much money is Coca-Cola, how much, how much are they paying you for, for this car? And he says, you're not going to believe this. It's, it's zero. Coca-Cola is not paying a dime. I said, what do you mean? He says, McDonald's, you see that little bitty spot right over here? It says McDonald's? So yeah. So they're putting the, they're footing the bill. I said, well, why is that? Because McDonald's is the number one supplier of Coke products. So to get them more exposure, they put Coca-Cola on the car. So when you go to McDonald's, McDonald's only sells Coke products. Like, wow. Then he said, okay, over here, five-hour energy. I said, yeah, okay, five-hour energy, that little bottle. That's just full of caffeine. I've taken a lot of them. They feel weird when you do it. So how much are they paying you? Nothing. Why is that? I said, well, come to the back. Show me the back of the car. I said, you see the Albertsons right there or Kroger, the grocery store? They're the ones that's paying the bill so that their advertisement can be put on the car. It's like, wow, this is crazy. Their marketing is phenomenal. Now, what does that have to do with the Great Commission? You are the marketing people for the Great Commission. Jesus gave you all authority to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Some of you may be called to go on an international mission trip. Some of you might not. Some of you might just stay here. And probably will just stay here. And that's fine. But where you are at, you are making disciples. You are God's marketing department, even though he doesn't need a marketing department. But you are. Verse, um, verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he says, go, make disciples, and as you're making disciples, what are you going to do? You're going to teach them everything that Jesus commanded. So everything that he did, you just pass it on. Do you have family stories that you just pass down from generation to generation to generation? That's what, that's what Jesus is asking you to do. As, as you're making these disciples, you just pass down these stories. 
You know who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. Was Moses around when Adam and Eve were created? No. Was Moses around in the flood when everything got destroyed? No. You know how it came about? Tradition. uh, It's called oral tradition. They passed down from one generation to another these stories of how God had brought them out of places. You have these exact same stories. And Jesus is telling you to tell these stories to to your disciples. And then the last part of that verse, Jesus says, remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes, whoop, he's gone. It would have been an amazing sight to see. I would have loved to have been there. But at that moment, what do you think the disciples were thinking? He said, I'm with you always. What? He's gone. He's in, he's in the clouds. And the angels are, are there saying, why are you still looking up at the clouds? He's gone. Go and do what Jesus commanded. Man, these disciples, it's easy to see things as 20-20 vision. Like, we look back at this and said, why didn't you have faith? Jesus said he was going to give you a comforter. He was going to give you the Holy Spirit. Why, why didn't you believe him? But man, they're living in that moment. They probably had no idea what was going to happen. They just had to have that faith. Now, looking back at events that we should have uh, maybe done something differently, it's easy to see that now. Um, For instance, uh, a few years ago, the Seattle Seahawks were playing the, the Patriots for a Super Bowl. And the Patriots were down by, or uh, Seattle was down by four, four points. The ball was at the one-yard line with three seconds to go in the game. Seattle has the ball. If they just get this touchdown, they win the Super Bowl. Three seconds left, one-yard line. That's three feet. That's an arm length. They snap the ball. They drop back. They pass. It gets intercepted. The game's over. Man, right after that, uh, sports networks were just hounding on them. Why didn't you run the ball? Why didn't you give it to Marshawn Lynch? Three seconds left. He could have just easily took the ball and go, I'm in. Why didn't you do that? Why did you have to pass the play? It's easy to see that afterwards. Now, I did some research on this. The way that the defense was set up, they were set up in a formation that was not going to allow Marshawn Lynch to run that ball in. So the best thing that he could do was to pass, to maybe outsmart them. It's easy to look with 2020 vision backwards at an event. And so these disciples were probably like, 
Okay, God said he's going to be with us um, when we go out and we're hated at the moment by a lot of people, uh, by the Romans. Uh, the Jews just killed him, you know. The Jews just killed Jesus and they know we're followers. What are we going to do? But they didn't know that over an Acts, about a few days later, Jesus was going to send them the Holy Spirit. We know that, but they didn't at that time. And so we can learn from their failures, if they had any. It's not written in the Bible that if they doubted or not at that point. But we can learn from them that God has taken care of them in every situation beforehand. Why wouldn't he take care of them in the next, and the next, and the next? You may be going through something right now that you're not for sure how to deal with it. But look back and see, how has God brought you out of this situation? How has God brought you out of this situation? How has God brought you out of this situation? Why, why can't he just take care of this one that you're dealing with right now? He can and he will. But you have to have that faith. And you have, to, um, you have to do what he has commanded you to do. You have to go. Therefore, teach. Um, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them all the commands that I have given to you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. Go. Make those disciples. Remember that Jesus is with you, no matter where you are. Watch this video.
so I'm going to leave you with this. Um, if Jesus has given you all authority, he's given you that letter to go into any kingdom and pass through freely, that also means you can storm hell's gate with a water pistol and you're going to win. One thing I love about this church is it's not a um, territorial type of church. Now, what I mean by that is a lot of churches, um, even some that I've served at, were kind of territorial. They said, well, you want these type of people. We want these, these type of people. We're not going to do other things with these other churches because we, we got to get our church settled. You know, they got to come to us. But one thing I like about this church is it's, it's all right to do things with other churches. Because, and if they go to our church or if they go to a Bible-believing church somewhere else, that's okay. Because the church isn't about this building. It's about the kingdom. So today, wherever you go, we're going to get out about five minutes early. You're going to get to get to the restaurant before other people will. But where you go today, I want you to be a missionary. I don't want, well, sorry, I don't want you to be a missionary. Jesus wants you to be a missionary. So whatever you do today and tomorrow and next week, next month, next year, to the end of the age. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you once again for our church, our congregation, Lord. Thank you for their love, their willingness to give up their time to be here, uh, to hear from a, a flawed human being. Lord, but we know ultimately your word is truth. Your word is right, and in it there is no errors. And God, I just ask that we take um, this authority that you have given to us and take it seriously. Because you've given us free reign to go after Satan and the enemies. And Lord, I ask, we know the end of the story. We know that the enemy is going to be vanquished and bound up. But however, Lord, right now, I just ask that you give us the strength to go out there and to fight with all of our might, knowing that you will win this battle. Guard us. Lord, let us put on your full armor every day. Because now, Lord, we just, we just opened up a door for fresh attacks. And let them come. But let us also be ready to fight. To take up our swords. And to not sit back. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a great rest of your day.